Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. All right, so today, um, uh, usually on Mother's Day or on my, my birthday or on uh, our anniversary, some days like that, I'll call my parents because I'll have either my mom or my dad pray for me. It's a special uh, thing to have my, my parents not only speak into my life but pray for, for me and pray for Tony, pray for our family. This particular time, uh, I thought, instead of having my mother just pray for me, I would like her to pray for all the women in our church. So uh, I asked her to do this video, and so uh, my mother has a prayer for you, and then we'll get into the sermon. Is that okay? So we're going to Colorado. It's springtime in the Rockies, and uh, there's no snow on the ground. That was last week. But um, all right, so we join my mother. Happy Mother's Day, dear mothers. Today I received uh, this gift uh, of beautiful fragrant roses. Thank you, Patsy and Tony. They are designed by our Creator God to be a rose, a flower, a thing of beauty and fragrance. They give glory to God, to the God who made them to look like a rose and to smell like a rose. So precious mothers, this morning I'd like to tell you that you are handcrafted by our Creator God to be a mother, a thing of beauty, emitting the fragrance of Christ and aroma of triumph and victory in being the mother that you are designed and equipped and anointed to be. I want to pray for you this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I bring each precious mother to your throne of grace this morning to obtain mercy and find an abundance of grace to help, strengthen, and encourage each heart by your spirit. May each mother have fresh revelation of your personal, wonderful love, that that, may, that that love coming from your heart to hers and flowing from her heart to the heart of her children abound more and more as we receive your love. We receive your wisdom, your touch, your anointing, your grace to be the mothers you have made and designed us to be, giving forth the fragrance of Christ in our lives as we live for your glory and praise. Thank you, Father, this morning for making us mothers. Amen. Amen. And Father God, we are so thankful for your presence here today. And I thank you for your word. And as we look into your word today, you've given a wonderful word to help, not just the mothers that are in the house today, but everyone who has a mother. And I thank you that includes all of us, all of us. I thank you, Father, that as we see what you have to say to us, it will help us, it will strengthen us, it will give us something to work with you and to walk with you in, in Jesus' precious name and for your glory, amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Today, I thought we would just call this where mothers come from. And you can just immediately think, well, where mothers come from is from 
their mothers and fathers, and, um, and then they came from theirs, and they came from theirs, but really, where did it all come from? And so, uh, we're going we're gonna to look into that, and we're going to see, actually, what was God thinking when He designed moms? What was in His mind? What was in His intent? What was the creative purpose that He fashioned uh, mothers with? And so, we're going to look into it. It would be common for us to esteem Mary, the mother of Jesus, as blessed. Now, not just even people that are, that are a part of the family of God or in the greater Christi- Christianity, uh, but also even people who are even familiar with, with the Christian story in knowing that Jesus uh, was born. Uh, they would have an idea that the mother of Jesus is blessed that there is something special and sanctified, holy. And so um, she is that way because of the fact that actually the Son of God came out from her and making her special. But today what we want to see is that it is also important that we see that the role of motherhood is sacred not just the mother of Jesus because the Son of God came from her, but motherhood is sacred because motherhood actually came out of God. All right? And today also what we're going to be able to see is that there are some things about motherhood that are going to end up applying to anybody that is here, whether you're a mother or not, whether you are a man or a woman. There are some things that are valuable to all of us today as we see it in the Word of God. So Genesis, the first chapter, and verse 27, we're going to go all the way back to the Creator, all right? And this is Genesis, the first chapter, and He is creating in the first five days many things, but on the sixth day, He's making animals, forming them, and then He comes to His crown of creation, the human. And verse 27, it says, so God created human beings, and he made them in his own image, not after the image of something he made on day four or day five, earlier on day six. He made them actually human beings in his own image, all right? So, it says this, in the image of God, he created them, male and female. And I think that is an interesting thing because in going all the way back to creation, it brings simplicity to what in this time has become very complex. Where genders are concerned, actually in the creation, what God created was male and female, all right? So let's go on and let's look a little bit closer at how and what was involved in that creation. The creation of of man, let's look at not just mankind, but the male, okay? In verse uh, 7 of chapter 2, it says, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. So he didn't speak man into existence like he spoke 
uh, and there was light and he spoke and other things came into existence. He actually formed man out of the dust of the ground. And after he formed him, then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. All right? So when he was forming Adam in his image, his traits, his characteristics were made in to the thing that he formed. And that included his character. Everything was. It was perfect. There was nothing flawed in it. There was nothing missing in it. Nothing broken in it. However, after he, he made man, man was operating and functioning what God had him do in naming all the, all the other creatures as God paraded them in front of him and God said that, told Adam to name them and they became whatever he named them, God still said this, it's not good that he's alone. It's not good that he's alone. And it was the first time in any of the time of creation that God ever said something was not good. And it wasn't because Adam was deficient in anything. No, he was perfect in design. He perfectly imaged his creator. Why wasn't it good? Well, there could be several reasons. I'm going to only mention two. The first one, very quickly, God told him in the first chapter to reproduce and fill the earth with the image of God. He can't reproduce alone. Okay, that's a simple, that's a simple reason why it's not good that he be alone. But this, another reason that we're going to really dive into today is this. In order for certain characteristic traits of God to be expressed in the degree and fully as God wanted them to be expressed and magnified to the extent that God wanted them to be magnified, he actually made another being to amplify certain characteristics, to magnify those certain characteristics. And so let's see what he does to do that. The creation of woman. So what he did, so the Lord caused man to fall into a deep sleep. In Genesis 2 and verse 21. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the, of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib. Let's just stop there. God formed man out of the dust. But he didn't form woman out of the dust. He took a rib, and out of that rib, he formed woman out of the rib. So he took something out of this perfect image of God, perfect in every way, out of that image, and he formed another being for the purpose of amplification, expressing his image. And so let's keep going. The Lord God made the woman from the rib, and he brought her, uh, he brought her to the man. Well, look what Adam says. At last. Well, he didn't say it like that. He didn't go, at last. He didn't do that. I don't know what he said. I don't know how he said it. I couldn't, I'm not a guy. But he, like, at last. 
Because he'd had a, bit, a parade of creatures walking by him, you know, and he's naming them, naming them, naming them. Nothing's like him. Nothing, nothing corresponds with him. And when he, he wakes up from this deep sleep, God parades this, whoa. And he says, at last. And the man exclaimed, this one, this creature is Bone of my bone, literally, God took something from him and formed this woman. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called, and he, he named her, woman, because she was taken from man. Now, it's interesting here, not, uh, he, God didn't take all of his ribs. He didn't take his rib cage. He didn't take his skull. He didn't take his feet, he took a rib, something close to his heart, and from that place and from that rib, he formed, he formed this woman for the purpose of magnifying certain characteristics of God, all right? Now, it's interesting that the, the woman's first function was that of a wife, uh, let's look at this verse of Scripture here. It says, therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother. Go straight in after he created woman, and Adam names her. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to what the Bible says, his wife. So the, the very first human relationship was husband and wife. That particular, uh, that particular human relationship isn't something that man created just because a man saw a girl and said, oh, I want to be with you the rest of my life, or a girl saw a guy and, oh, I want to be with you. The it wasn't that way. It had nothing to do with bias. It had, you know, in today's world, doesn't have anything to do with bias or prejudice or it doesn't have anything to do with human opinion. This is what the Creator did. He made a male and a female, and they came together, and the woman was his wife, and they became one flesh. Now, let's look at this. The woman's first function was a wife, and according to another verse that we're not going to take time to look at was in 1 Peter, the third chapter. Uh, it gives a very clear um, indication here that the woman wasn't just to be, you know, the one that just darned his socks and, and picked up after him and cooked his food. It actually was to be a collaborator, somebody that walked and lived life with him. And so, according to the very first thing that God said about man, when he would make man in his image and in his likeness, in chapter 1 of Genesis, it says that they would take dominion and be over all the fish of the sea and over all the birds of the air and anything that creeped upon the ground, man and wife were to tackle life together. That was God's idea. That was the Creator's idea. All right? So we're just going back to the beginning of what God was thinking. We're about to see what He was thinking where a mother is concerned. But uh, Adam... Uh, who was naming, he named her woman, but he actually didn't give her the name Eve until after she had kids. And this was after they'd actually left the garden. 
She had children, or they had children, and he named her Eve because Eve means mother of all living things. So before, before, um, before anything, he became, she became his wife, and then she became a mother of all living things. Now, let's look at this. Um, <laughs> in looking at this subject, uh, about creation, and I read some really pretty wacky things, and there are some who uh, have wondered and thought, and they have a thought process that maybe uh, God is is a female, that actually we should call him her. And actually, that's a little bit weird because God is neither male nor female. He's spirit. He's neither male nor female. And then there were some other writings that God has a feminine side, feminine characteristics. And thinking about that, if, if God has a feminine side or not, or feminine characteristics, it isn't so much that God has feminine characteristics or male characteristics. If a man or a woman is living and reflecting the image of God and the nature of God, the characteristics of God, they actually have divine characteristics. It's not male or female uh, characteristics of God. It's actually divine characteristics given to male or female. Do you see the difference? And so it's very sacred, really, in God, very purposeful in God, Romans, the first chapter in verse 20, I would like us to look at this verse of Scripture. It says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Let's just stop there, right? God is invisible. Our God is invisible. He's not, uh, he's not an idol. We don't worship idols. Our God is a spirit. His attributes, the goodness and the kindness. We were just singing how magnificent he is. We sing and worship his goodness, his kindness. He's good every day. We were saying that. He forgives us every day. All these wonderful attributes of an invisible God. How do you see that? If God is so good and he's good every day, how do you see that? How do you even know that? God made man and woman in his image to actually reflect and to express that, okay? And to bring that out to sight into something tangible. So even his eternal power and Godhead are actually seen by, by the creation that he has made. He's actually made his creation to be able to, uh, to give an example or to be able to give tangibility to his divine attributes. You're not able to see love, the love of God, unless it's expressed through somebody. Isn't that true? And that's why the Bible tells us love not just in word only, but also in deed. Do something. So love is seen through people, actually, people that God has made. 
Now, uh, the Bible gives several different verses of Scripture where uh, God uses both uh, humans and even animals. This mother instinct, because this is Mother's Day, he uses mother instinct to say, okay, that's what I'm like. You can't see me, but you can see a mother do this, and now you can know what I'm like. So let's, let's look at some of these. God comforts his people. What does comfort, how does the comfort of God look? And there's much in the Bible about comfort. In both the Old and the New Testament, God is a comforting God. But what does that look like? Well, this verse of Scripture says God comforts his people like a mother comforts her, child, her children. How does a mother comfort her children? Does she just yell across the room, be comforted? <laughs> Never seen that work on my babies. <laughs> you can't just, sometimes you can't just write a note and say, hope you all are right, hope that's a comfort to you. No, uh, there's, it's very tender, it's touching, it's, it's cuddling, it's very precious. And so that's how God comforts his people. How else? Like a woman would never forget her nursing child. God will never forget his, his children. So a, a person may know, see in the Bible that he'll never leave us or forsake us even to the end of the world. God ramps it up by attaching it to this instinct that he put in a woman where can she forget her nursing child? Well, if you've ever nursed a child, you'd know, uh-uh, no. You'll never, ever forget that child. Then we see here uh, God even uses an animal, an instinct in an animal, um, a mother eagle hovering over her young. Wow, you get a picture of that, a mother eagle protecting her babies in the nest. She'll be vicious to anything that tries to attack that nest, attack the, the eggs, let alone the little, the little fledgling. Do you call them fledglings? Did I make that up? Yeah. Uh, fledglings, they're not calves anyway, or <laughs> foals or whatever. I've got to get the right kind of animal, baby. But she's going to be very, very protective. Her eagle eyes are going to find food for them. She's going to use her claws to protect. She's going to use her wings to, to protect them from the, from the elements. Yeah, God is saying, mm, I'm like that. You can't see me, but you can see that. All right? Let's, let, let's see another one. He goes back to a human example here. He says, God seeks the lost like a housekeeper trying to find her lost coin. A woman that finds something or loses something very, very valuable. It's not like, oh, quesarasara, whatever, akuna matata, whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I lost my diamond ring. No, she'll tear the house up looking for it. And God says, okay, you want to know what I'm like? If a child gets lost or gets out of the way and gets out of sorts and gets into all kind of trouble, is he just going to go, well, whatever. I've got a lot that are still following me. Just let that one go. No. Everyone is valuable, and he's going to keep searching until and, and he finds that lost one. God cares for his people like a midwife that cares for a child she's just delivered. That pretty much explains it. She's not going to just leave it there and then go out for tea with her, her girlfriends. Say, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'll be back. She lays the baby on the bed. Uh, uh, I'll be back, I don't know, two, three hours. No, 
a midwife, as soon as she delivers that baby, is going to do everything she can do to make sure that baby, and God says, I'm like that. I'm like that. And then, how about this one? God experiences the fury of a mother bear robbed of her cults. I don't know. I've looked at some YouTubes uh, about silly people that get around mothers, mother bears with cubs. Bears aren't the kindliest animal unless they're a panda, but, uh, but boy, I'm telling you what, some of the bears that are up where my parents live in Colorado, you get around one of those bears, they have a cub. You better know how to run really fast and know how to get in something for, for your life because you threaten a mother's cubs and that mother is that. So God uses this mother bear as a thing like, ooh, anything that tries to hurt you, and that sickness, disease, oppression, is not a friend of his, okay? Let's look at this one. Jesus longed for the people of Jerusalem. Jesus said this one himself. He said, like a mother hen longs to gather her chicks. And so even the instinct in a chicken <laughs> is strong, wanting to gather, okay? So we want to look now into, uh, to look at certain characteristics, and then we're going to hone in then on one. Um, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, uh, they, God brought them out to make a nation of them. While they were in Egypt, they were the children of Israel, but they weren't really identified as a nation together of people. They were slaves. He called them out, and he brought them to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was a very important mountain because it was a place of God meeting uh, specifically with Moses and then Moses telling them, but it was to make a covenant and an agreement, a relationship between God and his people. We know it mostly only for the Ten Commandments, but much more came through that meeting on that mountain. The first time Moses went up, he was up there for many days, and by the time he got down, the children of Israel had gotten all distracted and confused, and some of them among them said, let's make a golden calf because, and worship it for bringing us out of Egypt. So crazy, it had only been a few days since they'd gotten out of Egypt with signs and wonders and all kinds of things, and now they're worshiping a golden calf. Well, Moses comes down, and while they're dancing around this golden calf and doing stupid stuff, he gets so mad, he comes down with the Ten Commandments handwritten by God in stone. He gets so mad that he, he throws those to the ground and they, they break. God said, you're going to have to come back up. I need to give those to you. <laughs> Get you Carve you out another uh, two tablets and come back up the mountain. Aren't you glad that if you do something uh, a little not right with God that he doesn't just say, okay, let's scratch them off the page. He doesn't. He didn't, he didn't scratch the, the Israelites off the page, and he doesn't scratch us off. He said, no, come back up. I've got something to give to you. So in Exodus 34, it says this. He cut two tablets. This is Moses. He cut two tablets of stones, a stone, just like the first ones that he had broken. 
Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hands uh, the two tablets of stones. Now the Lord descended in the cloud. And remember, we've already talked about God being invisible. So he descended in, in a cloud and, and stood with him, stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Who proclaimed the name of the Lord? Not Moses. God pro proclaimed his own name. Why would he do that? Moses didn't proclaim his name. God said, this is who I am. We're just about to get from God himself a description to Moses of who he is. It's going to be really important. I think uh, the example that I think about it would be, you know, how, how a mother with a baby, uh, and I don't know, Sam, has your baby started talking? Okay, but you're, you're, you're coaching the baby. Are you coaching the baby? So uh, I don't know at what age, um, but I, I, I tell you, Tony and I started coaching our girls right away. Uh, it was a contest to see whose name they were going to call first. Is it going to be? And he was always, he was always Poppy because, you know, the, the Italian thing. So uh, I was like, like in, in our daughter's faces, and they're just, they're just newborn, mama, 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 mama loves you. And then when I wasn't looking, he'd be over there going, Papi, <laughs> Papi. And I don't remember who's, I think, I, I think we probably wrote it in their, their baby books, who, who said what first. I don't know. But uh, what I'm saying is, is a parent proclaims their name. They introduce themselves to the child. In the same way, God was doing this. He said, this is who I am. Now, so let's see who he is. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God. This is who I am, the Lord God. And then he goes on to say, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. This is his interaction with his children. He goes, this is who I am. Before anybody could say anything any different about him to his kids, he said, no, this is who I am. Now, you'll see there, if you'll go back to that first one here, see how big those words are? Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding, and truth. They're magnified. They're larger in the same way uh, that we can enlarge that. You can see it better. It pronounces itself greater in the same way that this microphone amplifies my voice, makes my voice bigger than it is. But I'm not talking any louder. I'm talking as I, as I normally talk. But it is amplified to you. These words, God is amplifying these characteristics that they wouldn't necessarily know about him. They're amplified. Go on to the next verse because he keeps adding to it. He said, keeping mercy 
for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now notice what it goes on to say here. In this, in this chapter, uh, we won't take time to look there, but in this chapter, he's, he's in these verses of Scripture that just follow, he's going to tell them about their destiny. He's going to tell them the way that they should worship when they come together with feast. So their feast days, this new way of worship. He's going to give them the Ten Commandments. But before he gives the Ten Commandments about what to do, what not to do. Do this. Thou shalt do this. They shall not do that. Before he tells them the Ten Commandments, before he gives them a destiny, before he even tells them their method of worship to him, he tells them who he is. What does that mean? Why did he do that? Because the human tendency is going to be exactly opposite. They're going to think that God will only be that wonderful. Go back to that other verse, the sixth verse. God will only be that good if you do what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. You don't do that. And if you worship all the feast days, right? And also, if, if you do the destiny, then God will be merciful and God will be gracious. God was saying, this is who I am. You don't change who I am. And what else happens is it gives a point of reference them for them to know that the commandments aren't to hurt them, the commandments are actually to help them. They're an expression of his love and his goodness to them. Their destiny is an expression of his love and his goodness to them. The, the, the way of worship isn't just because he's greedy for worship. It's because he loves them and it's an interaction with him. So, but what we want to see, if you'll go back to, the, to verse 6, what we want to see is all these magnified words. What does that have to do with Mother's Day? And what does that have to do with, uh, with God creating a woman to magnify parts of his nature and characteristics? What does that have to do? In the Hebrew and Aramaic language, all of these magnified words are in the feminine tense. They're in the feminine tense. So what does that mean? That man doesn't have this? No. Because God took the rib out of Adam by which he formed Eve. But in Eve, these characteristics are amplified. Do you see that? In, these, in, these, in the mother, these characteristics are magnified. Okay? He intended for that to be. You say, hmm, well, not, I, I haven't always been that mother. I haven't always exhibited that. You know what? Neither have I. And maybe you say, uh, but I didn't have a mother that had all those characteristics. You, regardless of our experience here, this was the Creator's design. The fall of man and sin has broken down different things that we 
We don't function exactly as God intended in the creation. But through Christ, we can exhibit what God intended for us to express of his nature. We're going to look at two characteristics today. Uh, Really one uh, that's kind of combined with two. And that is mercy and compassion. Mercy and compassion. This characteristic of God is very important, very valuable. So I'd like us to see what does this have to do with women and what does this have to do with mothers and ultimately what does that have to do with all of us, okay? Well, if you'll look at this uh, You see there the definition of mercy and compassion, but I want you to follow with me. I found uh, some some study. uh, It's a Hebrew study. I won't take you take you uh, too far or too deep into a Hebrew study, but it was important enough. It's so um, amazing enough that I wanted you to actually to see it with your eyes. Okay, so let's look together. If you'll go on. To the next screen, please. There are two Hebrew words that are translated as the word, and here we come to something that's associated with Mother's Day, womb, womb, all right? There are two Hebrew words that are translated as the word womb in Scripture. One is beten and is used commonly to express the area of the belly. The other word is used exclusively to speak of the home of the first nine months of a child. The womb. Next screen, please. This word, that particular Hebrew word, that second one, this word is rakem. Rakem is from the root rakam and is, in its root, also the word for compassion and mercy. What is that saying? In this language, the word womb and compassion and mercy are the same family word. Same word. Now, its root meaning, this rakem, Its root meaning is protection from harm. The womb is a protection from harm. It's the safest place. God's design from the beginning was that the womb was the safest place for a child to get its start and grow. A place where he or she would be protected from harm. A place of true compassion and mercy. That's what God designed the womb to be, a place of compassion and mercy. Okay? Now, wow, well, let's see. Compassion, though, when we were looking at those other words, all those other words in Exodus that we had magnified, and I said those words are in the feminine tense in the Hebrew language. Compassion, uh, yes, compassion is actually both male and female tense. And womb is actually a male tense. 
What does that say? It means that women don't own compassion. <laughs> compassion is a characteristic of God. And he made Adam with that characteristic. And he amplified that characteristic in a woman. All right, so let's just keep going here. We see in Jesus' example in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that he was uh, very sensitive, not overly emotional, not ever hysterical. He was sensitive. He was, he was not even overly sentimental. However, he was motivated by compassion, completely motivated by compassion. Can we just say again a, a familiar verse of Scripture, John 3.16? Can we just say that together if you know it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, God loved us, but what that love did was a compelling force that gave Jesus. But when Jesus got here on the earth, that wasn't the end of love because his ministry and compassion, because his ministry was marked with uh, this compassion. And compassion is not a, is not a superficial feeling. Like some people, ooh, I just feel so happy today. And then the next day I feel like rubbish. It's not like that. Compassion is far deeper. It is, it is that, uh, that level of womb, in other words. Womb and compassion are in the same place. And the scripture says here, in many places that Jesus was moved. Let me just tell you some things. We won't take it to Scripture for time's sake, everything. But one of the things that Jesus was moved to do by compassion is pray. Now, it's a good Christian thing to do, to pray. You should pray. Read your Bible and pray. But the Bible says in Matthew, the ninth chapter, when he saw the multitudes and they were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Instead of him having like a, oh, whatever attitude, like, oh, poor pathetic people, at least I've got some disciples that are on my page, and, you know, they're doing fairly good. He didn't have that attitude. The Bible says when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he said, pray. Prayer was actually motivated by compassion. Another thing is his teaching. The Bible says when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion and he taught the multitude. So it wasn't because he was motivated. He wasn't motivated because he knew so much and he wanted to show people how much he knew. He wanted to, he wanted to be impressive. That was not his motivation. He saw how much they needed and compassion moved him to tell them what they needed to know from God. Compassion is what motivated Jesus to actually multiply the bread and the loaves and feed 5,000 people one time and then a short time later feed uh, 7,000. Uh, it was the motivation to heal. When Jesus saw the people that were sick, rather than just thinking, well, that's so sad, I'm so sorry, yeah, that's too bad, uh, let's go eat. It wasn't like that. 
or he saw somebody that was demon-possessed, it was like, oh, that's a little disturbing. Let's go watch a movie. It wasn't like that. It wasn't dismissive to people's problems. What kicked in, in here, not in here, not in, it wasn't intellectual. It wasn't just fluffy feelings or ooh kind of feelings. It was compassion. And it was so strong that it moved him to do what he did in ministry for these people. <clears throat> to deliver from demons. The Bible says he was moved with compassion and delivered people that were tormented by demons and even he raised the dead, moved with compassion. So compassion is deeper. What ends up happening is you see somebody that is weighted down in their life with a sickness or weighted down with a family problem or weighted down with a, a financial problem or an emotional problem. You see somebody weighted down and it's not like, oh, shame. That's a shame. It's not like that. It's like you see them weighted down and what compassion does is go over to them and help them lift that. That's what compassion does. It lifts it. Okay? So compassion <clears throat> carries, helps carry. Galatians, the sixth chapter in verse 2, says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which we know is the law of love, which compassion is a great component of the law of love. If you're going to fulfill the law of love, you can't just observe people that are hurting. There's something in you that moves to pray, to go do something, to get under that and help, all right? So, and you help until the people are changed. And in addition, <clears throat> in addition to a being that can carry and birth babies, I'm talking now about the creative mind of God when he thought of woman. Do I just need somebody to birth babies? To carry them in their womb and birth babies? Do I need that? It was not just that. What God was thinking, what God was thinking was an expression of himself. Expression of carrying somebody until they could stand on their own or make it. All right, so today our message on this Mother's Day, even if we're not a mother, this day on Mother's Day, even if you're a man, compassion is a quality that we all have in Christ. It's been given to us in Christ. And God wants us to respond with compassion to not observe people with burdens, but to go to them, move towards them, to pray for them, to help them, to encourage them, to lift it, to heal, to do something, not just observe, all right? So today I want us to pray, and if, if Madonna and if, uh, you and the worship team can come, I want to pray for us because this quality of compassion this womb of compassion where it's deeper than just frivolous, frivolous feelings. The society that we live in looks for comfort 
doesn't like to be bothered by other people's burdens. You want to not have any burdens yourself so that we can, you know, do whatever we want to do. But so we sure don't want to be bothered with other people's. But what Christ, if you're born again, what Christ has put in us is this capacity for compassion to move us from where we are to lift the loads of some other people. So I want to pray for us today as a church. And if you want to, if you want to be a greater responder to compassion, Jesus is our model. He modeled this womb of compassion as a man. And so that's why it works across the board. Women, men, this compassion, this motherly instinct, or this compassion that actually started even before in the, in the very image of God. I want us to pray. If you want to respond with God in compassion, while I pray, can you just put a hand on your own heart and say, yep, that's me, I take this. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for us this morning. We are, we're made, we're made, created in Christ Jesus under good works. Not to earn your love, but to express your nature, to express your divine compassion, as well as other things too. Father, I thank you that just as, just as you have given us compassion, and there are some people here this morning that do need compassion. They've come in with some burdens on their lives. I thank you that there's compassion here today to help lift that, to help change that, so that we don't have to walk with burdens. We receive that compassion directly from you, and we receive it also through one another's love and prayer and, and encouragement in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Now, I want to pray another prayer. And this prayer is for anyone who is in church this morning, in this church family this morning. You may know about God. You may not know. But this isn't about God. God wants to invite you to know him personally and you can know him by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to pray a prayer that will allow you to do that, give you opportunity to do that. And if you've never prayed and asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I encourage you to do that today. We're going to close our eyes and pray this prayer with your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, go ahead and pray it after me. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for your love for me. That even when I was a sinner and doing things against you, you gave me Jesus to be punished for that sin so that I could come to you and receive your love. And I do it today. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead and that he's alive today. I ask Jesus to come into my life and be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. 
If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.